Do you find it hard to stay focused? Does your mind wander off all over the place and find yourself constantly distracted? Procrastination can steal so much from your life and it's all too easy to blame yourself as just lazy. But what if there's something else at play that's holding you back? Now, I know that some people may be wondering if they have ADHD, but don't really know enough about it. Well, in today's episode, I have top ADHD coach, Aaron Croft, who's going to answer all my questions around this subject. You are going to love this interview. It is pure gold. Aaron struggled for over 15 years with undiagnosed inattentive ADHD, which led to him being broke, divorced, and earning minimum wage. And it wasn't until he got his diagnosis that he turned things around and now has built a successful Fortune 500 career. He loves to coach people with ADHD, in his words, to get shit done. So if you struggle to focus, procrastinate a lot, and want some strategies to help you create a successful life, then keep on listening. Hi, I'm Paul Shepard, your Mindset Coach, and welcome to the Mindset Change Podcast, where changing your mindset can literally transform your life in ways you can't imagine. If you're new to the show, welcome. Please subscribe as it helps support the show, and more importantly, so you won't miss another episode. And welcome, Aaron. Thank you, Paul. It is amazing to be here. I am very excited about having you on a show because I have got a lot of questions around ADHD. I've seen a huge rise in clients and people talking about that they're worrying that they've got ADHD. They can't focus. They can't concentrate. Their minds are wandering all over the place. They're procrastinating. Do they have ADHD? Uh, yeah, I absolutely, they 100% do. No, I mean, of course, obviously it's not, it's not that simple, right? Um, but what you are talking about is something that a lot of researchers and others have been noting, which is that, um, you know, that there's aspects of our modern lifestyle that actually, uh, can contribute to a lot of ADHD like symptoms in a lot of people, right? Just the sheer amount of social media and notifications and constantly flipping and how fast all the TV moves and they have to change cuts and video angles every however many seconds. You know, we're just so overstimulated that uh, it is harder and harder for a lot of people to concentrate. And then you had working from home for a number of people. So um, yeah, there's, there's a lot of distraction and difficulty concentrating and procrastination that's going on and increasing. So what so can you tell me what ADHD actually is then? And what are the symptoms someone should look out for? Just you know, compared to maybe the distractions and our changing lifestyle? Sure. So uh firstly I'll caveat this with uh I only have a master's in coaching psychology. I am not a mental health professional. I'm not accredited. I'm not a doctor, et cetera, um, nor can I diagnose this. Uh, and then the second thing I'll share is that my specialty is really in working with the inattentive side of ADHD. So just for some high-level education, broadly, what you're looking at, right, is that uh, ADHD tends to fit into two presentations 
which used to be called types, which probably makes a little more sense for people. Um, one of them is the hyperactive impulsive side. And so that's characterized by, you know, inability to sit still driven as if by a motor, you know, some of the impulsivity, like making bad decisions, risk taking, um, that sort of thing. And that's probably more in line with the stereotypical um, ADHD that we think about, right? We think about these just, you know, rambunctious boys running around, uh, make, you know, causing behavior problems. Then there's this other set of symptoms, which is called the inattentive presentation. And those are some of the things that uh, Paul was alluding to, right? Things like difficulty doing chores and homework, difficulty, um, chronic procrastination, you know, underperformance in school and job and that sort of thing, um, forgetfulness, um, and a lot of, a lot of, and obviously just, you know, the, the difficulty concentrating and staying focused on key tasks. And so that side of it, you can actually have either hyperactive impulsive, you could have both, right? Which is called combined, or you could have just the inattentive presentation and people that have just inattentive or combined, but really the inattentive presentation is what caused them the most problem. They might feel, uh, they might be surprised to learn they have ADHD because, which I was when I was diagnosed, uh, seven years ago at 34, because they have the same image that so many of us do, right? Which is that ADHD years are just like those highly hyperactive people, right? The people going squirrel every two mm -hmm. seconds. Uh, and, and there's a whole, there's a whole universe, um, that's misunderstood about this. So I'm going to pause cause that was a very long answer. And I also <laughs> know that I need to provide more clarity than I did. Uh, I know I didn't fully answer the question. Again, no, I'm interested in where you're going. Just to help our listeners, what is it that you went through with inattentive ADHD? Because it might be something that they could relate to. Sure, yeah. Um, so, it, yeah, that's a great point, right? And so what I, the only thing I'll add on what I was saying before is simply that um, those types of things that I described being ADHD symptoms – it's those are things everybody experiences. So what makes it ADHD versus not? A lot of it simply just comes into the frequency and the severity of of how big that challenge is. Okay. Um, yeah. So everyone procrastinates. Everyone forgets their keys. Everyone, you know, everyone does all those things. Everyone doesn't feel like doing household chores sometimes. What what I see with myself and with um, my students who suffer from the inattentive symptoms can best be summed up in basically the sentence, why can't I get myself to do what I want to do? So they're looking at all these tasks, all these, you know, whether it's some passion project or it's a business or it's just the work that they need to do, or it's, there was someone I talked to who has a $30,000 um, check that is owed to them. All they have to do is fill out an expense report form. Their wife is bugging them about it. And it's like, why can't I do this? It's been sitting there for three months. And so it's just this uh, chronic inability to get themselves to do the things that they want to do, which then goes into this cycle of uh, beating themselves up, kind of this guilt and shame, like, why can't I? I'm such a failure. I'm lazy, all those things. 
And then, and then uh, panic, stress, adrenaline kick in because there's some deadline or consequence. And then instead of their mental health suffering, uh, they'll sprint and do it and they'll end up staying up too late. They'll eat bad food and all that. And so then their physical health kind of suffers and they end up in this sort of roller coaster between, you know, a, damaging their mental health and damaging their physical health. So that was at a high level. Uh, my experience was uh, that I got through high school really well. Uh, I got great grades. Ever, you know, I was a great test taker. And that masked the fact that I was that kid doing homework, scribbling it like outside of class before it was due. And I was the kid who lived off of Cliff's notes. I never read a book cover to cover. Um, I was the kid who used his charm to get other kids to give him their notes because I just never took sufficient notes in class. Um, mm. You know, I was the kid cramming for his geometry chest at two in the morning, not because I hadn't tried to study the nights before. I just couldn't get myself to. And um, but nonetheless, if you get good grades, you don't get noticed as a problem. And so my mom just wrote off all that behavior in school as Aaron's just arrogant, selfish, lazy, thinks that he's above the rules. And that was the only interpretation that I had for my behavior as well. So what led you then, Aaron, to, you know, because you, were, you, were, you got through school and you did it, you know, with coping strategies. But that didn't really lead to, didn't really point to an ADHD uh, diagnosis. So what led you down that path to get that diagnosis? Sure. Um, so sadly, um, sadly, it was hitting a form of rock bottom. So uh, after I got into a top university, I dropped out twice um, before barely graduating. And then I failed out of my first seven jobs and businesses. And by 33 years old, I was broke, divorced and earning minimum wage. Um, and yeah. And so it was really when I was working my way out of that, which um, I was able to do effectively because it had that same sort of panic that I was always able to get work done. You know, that was a pretty panic moment for me. Um, and so I was able to work my way out of that effectively. And as soon as the panic subsided, I'd gotten a good new job. I was earning six figures for the first time in my life. And three months into that job, I was told that my work product just wasn't good enough. Um, wow. everyone loved right. me, you know, whatever. I got along with people. I talked, I said all the right things. I talked a great game, but you know, I just, I wasn't delivering. And they said, look, it's okay. You're not, you know, you're not going to get fired yet. You're still on probation, but like, we just need you to stay late for the next two weeks and redo the work that you've done the past two months. Wow. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, I'm like, uh, this is a problem. I can, you know, I'm already at the end of my, uh, at my capabilities. I don't have another, I don't have just a stay late and do a bunch of work for the next two weeks. So, um, freaking out that I was going to lose my job. Meanwhile, I was effectively living with my mother. I was a 34 year old divorced Jewish man living with his mother. Um, fortunately it wasn't my mother. It was my mother's sister. 
Uh, so somehow that sounded better. But um, I was like, oh, my God, I'm about to get fired from this job. And I honestly I was at the point that, like, I don't know if I can deal with another failed thing on my resume. Like, you know, you can only paper over these things so much. Um, and I freaked out. And I had a friend who had casually mentioned one night when we were out at a bar that um, he had taken Adderall and he was planning to stay up late. Um, and I was like, oh, what's Adderall? Like, I literally, like, didn't even know because I'd never tried it, never anything. He's like, oh, well, I have ADHD and so I have this thing and blah, blah. So I just called him in a panic. I was like, I need to stay up late. I need to stay up late for, like, two weeks to get this work done. And I know you mentioned this thing that you've used to stay up late. Like, I need some. He's like, I can't. Anyway, I pressured him, told him that, like, I'm going to lose my job and, you know, pulled all the friend cards I could. Anyway, he capitulated, which he shouldn't do. It's illegal. Don't try this at home. I'm just telling you the unvarnished story. Um, and I got there on Monday to work. And then at lunchtime, I popped the Adderall thinking, that you know, it was going to keep me up till nighttime. And that afternoon, I sat down at my computer to work on like a boring spreadsheet and it was literally like I entered a different dimension. It was like the first time in my life I could work on something that wasn't amazingly interesting, but that I wanted to get done because it was stressing me out to not get it done. And I could do it on command. And my mind was just like blown. Like someone that's colorblind can suddenly see the color purple and they're like, oh, this is what purple looks like. I was like, holy crap. I didn't know that people could, that like brains could do this. So what does, so anyone listening um, might not be familiar with what Adderall is. What does Adderall do to help you focus that way on that spreadsheet? Yeah. Um, so the, the traditional ADHD treatments or medications, I should say, I should say, like Adderall or Ritalin, um, so that's methamphetamine is the Ritalin and Adderall is a form of amphetamine. Um, basically what they are, are they are stimulants uh, to your central nervous system. And so in some ways you could just think of them as stronger or different versions of coffee um, if you need an analogy. But okay. they what they what they do and, and researchers honestly aren't even totally sure why or how these things work, which is true of a lot of psychopharmacology. Um, they have theories, but basically the idea is that somehow they, they think that this increases uh, the dopamine that's in your brain. And um, generally the, the dopamine pathways in ADHD brains are considered to work differently or you could argue not as effectively, um, not the way that they're supposed to. And so what, what happens is, so dopamine's kind of the... Um, the thing that the, it used to be called like the reward chemical, but it's basically the desire chemical. So like, so like if, you know, if you go and get a treat, uh, if you go and, you know, get a treat when you do something, I'm just kind of thinking of an animal training example, right? All of a sudden, then when you think about doing that thing again, you're going to get a release of dopamine, which is actually what pushes you over the action threshold to go and do it. You're anticipating a reward. Um, and then the dopamine is what gets you to take that action, which will then lead to the reward. And when you get the reward, you actually get kind of a little drop in the dopamine, which mm -hmm. 
Um, so what that so what happens in ADHD brains is we think about, oh, I'd love that treat, but our dopamine doesn't uh, kick in the way it's it doesn't activate in the pathways the way it's supposed to. And so we end up with this very weird experience of really wanting to do something, but we can't get ourselves to do it. It's like, wait, I really want the treat. And all I got to do is do this thing to get the treat. But like to like the dopamine just is the way it's supposed to work. It just doesn't happen in our brains. And the idea is that the stimulants um, kind of help balance that out so that when you want the treat, the, the dopamine kicks in, you then go do the behavior that you intend to do. Um, so that was a very simplistic uh, and sort of mixed metaphor version. <laughs> I think I think a lot of people will get a lot from what you've just said. So, um, so you took Adderall, and you got your spreadsheet done. What happened next for you? Um, I was I was so blown away. Like, I mean, it's it's it, it's hard to it's hard to quite put into words. I mean, it was just it's like if you just saw a unicorn tomorrow. It was just it was so foreign to me that this was actually possible because up until today, up until that day, I honestly just thought it was like a moral failing. Like I just wasn't motivated enough. I just didn't care enough. Um, and I was just too lazy and whatever. And like, I was like, oh, I just need to do more self-help and more affirmations and more vision board than if I just care more. But the reality is that in the ADHD brain, just like desire doesn't translate to action the way that it does in a neurotypical brain. And so it's not about increasing our desire. Um, and so I was just like, holy crap, I could do something that I wanted to do without it being like amazingly fun and interesting. And um, so then I was like, well, I definitely don't have ADHD because that's just hyper, you know, six year old boys bouncing off the wall. And like, I am, if anything, I'm like too chill, too calm. Like, mm -hmm. like, I'm, yeah, I'm lazy, right? Like, ugh. Uh, I'll sit on the couch all day. Um, so I was like, that's not me. But I was like, whatever this thing did, I better research it. So I just researched it. And then I discovered this whole hidden side of ADHD, which is that you like that it's kind of what used to be known as ADD before it was removed, you know, at least from the diagnostic manual. Um, so attention deficit disorder, that was probably a much clearer name. People kind of get that. Uh, mm -hmm. But yeah, so I just started researching it and I was like, holy crap, all of these symptoms like difficulty completing homework, chronic procrastination, forgetfulness, um, you know, all these different symptoms. And you can look them up online, right? I'm not a diagnostician, but um, it was like, oh, this describes so much of my life. I had no idea. And so then I sought out uh, a medical professional and I was like, um, here's my experience. And they're like, uh, yeah, you do have ADHD. How did you survive to this point without knowing? <laughs> wow. That, that, I mean, that, that's hugely life-changing for you. What happened next? I mean, you, you got this, you got your diagnosis. I mean, what an experience to have a friend. I know that you cajoled them into giving you an, uh, some Adderall for a, obviously the, your work situation, but you got your diagnosis. What happened next for you? 
Yeah. Um, all right. Well, do you want do you want the 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 pretty version or the true version? <laughs> of course, we want the pretty version. Said no one ever. We want the true version. <laughs> we want what really happened. Um, all right. Well, firstly, like I was able to sustain that performance in my job. Um, you know, I stayed at that job for three years, which was my longest tenured job ever. Um, and so, yeah, like, so that was amazing. Uh, the, the true version besides that is, um, I was so impressed that I had this, like these magic beans, this, this, this magic pill that was suddenly letting me like achieve my potential at work and be able to actually do things. And I was getting promoted and people were, you know, this whole thing. Um, and so I, I was like, this is great. I've achieved the, like I've achieved success in my life. And so I just came home, but I also didn't really like my job. Um, I mean, I didn't dislike it. I just also didn't like a lot of things about it. And so I just came home every day, uh, and just got blasted, just like smoked weed until I was like, like high as a kite, uh, ate lucky charms sweet tarts, whatever candy I could play video games and watched like American football and national hockey league, like ice hockey. And like did that for over a year, just like was doing nothing other than like working and then just being a derelict. What was going on? Do you think? That's, that's... I think there were two things going on. Um, the first was that I, I was, I was just really genuinely happy and impressed with the results that I was getting. Um, now that I could finally like control my attention a little bit. Um, and so it was just, it was, it was such a new experience for me to, you know, not feel like my job was in danger of, you know, getting terminated, et cetera. And so I think one, there was just a complacency. Like uh, I can, you know, the, the noose isn't about to tighten, like the ax isn't about to drop. And so one, there was an aspect of complacency. And then uh, the second was that I was still doing a lot of what's called masking, um, which is, you know, you just, you can't, you can't actually come across as ADHD. You have to come, you know, there's much like you have to, much like it's, it's valuable to learn how to appear extroverted in job settings, especially like corporate settings. It's also helpful to, you know, appear organized and put together and, you know, all these things. And so I got good at putting out the right image, but between that and also just like not liking my boss, not liking people telling me what to do, I think it was just I had to use a lot of self-control and it was very emotionally draining um, to use that at, you know, jobs that I didn't really feel like were on my life purpose. We're just kind of like, yeah, it's just it's just work. So. Well, what got you? That sounds like a funk. You got into a funk, and then, I mean, obviously, we're speaking today. So how did you get out of that? Something happened. 
Yeah. Um, I, I decided, um, well, really what happened is that I got to a point where I got a little bit bored. Um, and that is a great place to be because it opened up the question in my mind, huh? Maybe, maybe this isn't the pinnacle of what I can achieve. Like maybe just holding down a job, uh, like, by the way, it's super embarrassing, but like my mom, like you, like when I, when I go past the six month mark in any job or endeavor, um, like you'd think, you'd think I won the Nobel prize with the amount of congratulations that she gives me. Like, that's how, that's how bad it is. So I was just like, oh my God, I'm holding down a job. And so I think that I thought that that was honestly like the pinnacle of my success after having been, you know such a failure, quote unquote, in my career up until that date. And after a little while, I was like, after about a year or so, I was like, wait a minute, maybe I could actually do even more. Maybe I could do more than just hold a job. Maybe I could get promoted. Um, maybe I could learn really cool leadership skills or do really exciting things. Um, and so I set out to, uh, I set out to do that and I quickly hit, uh, a new ceiling, which is, I, I just, I hit the ceiling of my skills, right? Like the first, the first phase of this was just the, the ADHD medication helped me realize the skills that I kind of had already, but I wasn't able to um, translate into action. But then all of a sudden I, like, then I got to that next level, which was sort of like, okay, actually now there's skills that I haven't really developed yet. I haven't really developed how to lead teams. I haven't developed how to manage projects that involve other people. I haven't developed how to, you know, keep myself organized with multiple projects. And so, yeah, it was really um, fig deciding to, that I could do more and then realizing this wall, which everyone eventually hits, which is sort of summed up in the rhyme, pills don't teach skills. And I realized that the pills had taken me on their own as far as they were going to. And that if I was really serious about discovering, I'm who knows what my ceiling was, I said to myself, like what my true potential was that I would need to also start um, acquiring skills uh, beyond just, you know, popping stimulants. Wow. And I think people are going to be asking, do you still take medication? Because there's a lot of worry about Adderall and Ritalin. You know, we see the, the stories in the media. It can be addictive, uh, the side effects. What's your experience? Yeah. Um, so the, the short answer, just to answer your question is, yes, I do. Um, mm -hmm. Will I take it for the rest of my life? I don't know. Um, I, in my opinion, I think that I think that people are asking the wrong question, or at least they're making the they're asking the question without the proper data. So here's what I would so what I would consider improper data that most people use is they're looking for you know studies about what how it impacted ten thousand people and all that. And yes, it's good to check for risks. Blah blah blah. Adder Adderall and Ritalin have been around like five, six decades. They're some of the longest running medications. Like the risks are pretty, like are pretty well documented. Um, 
there's not like going to be a lot of surprises and the risks obviously, you know, have passed any scrutiny of regulatory bodies over the years. Um, so, you know, people are always looking at like, well, what's the, what's the effect on all these things? And really it doesn't matter what the effect is on 7 billion people. It only matters what the effect is for you. And the nice thing about ADHD medication is that especially a stimulants, you'll have an effect almost instantly or within a day or so. It's not like a depression medication. We have to wait for six or eight weeks. And so I always tell people like, try it for a week and just see, because the reason that I take it is because my life is so much more fulfilling, so much richer, my mm. own, my own enjoyment, my own, my own self-concept, the fact that I can achieve the things I want to achieve is so much more rewarding than any of the smaller medication downsides. Um, but I also don't take like massive doses. And so it's because I've tried it, I can make an educated trade-off, um, you know, alcohol is a carcinogen. Like there's all sorts of things that we take that are not necessarily the perfect choice for peak long-term health in our nineties, but we take them today because they, they enhance our quality of life. And for me, that's how ADHD medication is. So is there any uh, risks to anyone who doesn't have ADHD and just fancies having uh, taking an amphetamine and using Ritalin or Adderall uh, just to boost their concentration are there risks to people who don't have ADHD? Did you know of? Yeah. I mean, so, um, I mean, it's illegal. Um, their schedule, I mean, in the U S they're schedule two drugs. Um, so, you know, so it's illegal. Um, and, I mean, taking any prescription medication that isn't prescribed to you is highly risky. So I don't know the specifics, mm -hmm. not being a psychiatrist. Okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, I would definitely not recommend that, uh, you know, certainly. And, and even if you do have ADHD, I mean, these are all things to discuss with your psychiatrist, medical doctor, mm -hmm. et cetera. I'm in no position to, to share what, what the risks would or wouldn't be for you. Okay. Now, just wondering if it would damage the reward pathways from, you know, messing around with things that aren't damaged, you know, with, with ADHD. And obviously, there's a problem that, that which the medication seems to be fixing or, you know, enhancing, to, you know, to make sure that you can concentrate. But with people there who hasn't got an issue, I'm wondering if it's giving people a massive dopamine boost. You know, we've seen it with porn or alcohol and drugs. Um, and we know that people can begin to burn out from dopamine use, to, uh, over dopamine use. Uh, Dopamine Nation talks about that quite a lot. So I just wanted to give a, yeah, sure. uh, a, a caution to Dr. that. Dr. Anna because, Lemke. Yeah. 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 An amazing book. And I think in your experience, it's really heartening to hear that it's really worked for you because I think I, I get a lot of people come to me and ask me about ADHD and really I'm not the person to ask. Uh, it's not my speciality. Um, but the one thing that they do mention is, um, oh, if I, if I do have it, I want to go down the natural route. And was that something that you considered? Uh, is that something that's actually viable? Um, so the short answer is that um, in terms of like peer-reviewed academic studies, there hasn't been a like very strong evidence base for 
the natural treatments, but that doesn't mean that they don't, that they can't work. Right. Um, so, you know, there, there's a lot of, there's a lot of ADHDers, um, a number who I work with who don't take medication. Um, and so I would say that there's plenty that choose not to, I mean, I mean, there's a number of things from exercise, improved sleep, you know, and a lot of, a lot of productivity best practices, um, which I'm a huge fan of those behavioral interventions and, um, I do a lot of them and I teach a lot of them. And then some people choose to supplement that with medication. Uh, but it really comes down to, again, the severity of your ADHD, like how big that gap is between what you intend to do and your ability to get yourself to do it. <laughs> um, okay. kind of how, how big that gap tends to be. And so some people, the gap isn't as big and just purely strategies close it. Other people, the gap's bigger and they need medication or higher doses to be able to okay. bridge the gap, even when they do all the natural things that they could do as well. Can you talk me through some strategies which someone could use as a, a way of naturally managing ADHD? There's, are it things that you do? Sure. Yeah. Um, so I'll, so here's what um, kind of the, the end of the sort of the end point of my story, which sort of brings me to where I am now. So um, I left, I left that job and I went and got another good job um, at a fortune 500 company. Uh, prior to that, I'd been consulting to fortune 500 companies. I was a management consultant and then I went and got an in-house job. And, um, and then at that in-house job, uh, I basically, a few things happened. Um, I plateaued again, uh, where it was like to get to the next level. I wasn't, it was just going to be long hours and I, and I crave time freedom. Um, and I really didn't want to give that up to do the longer hours. And so that really put me at a crossroads and was like, I'm not willing to play the game to become CEO. Um, I'm just not willing to put in the time and effort. I don't give a crap about helping a billion dollar company make another hundred million dollars. Um, just doesn't motivate me. And, um, and at the time, so I'm 41 now, I was 39 and I just turned 39 or a little bit. And I was looking ahead to my 40th birthday. And there's something about birthdays, uh, especially kind of those milestones that cause some reflection opportunities. And for me, what the reflection opportunity was, was that my dad had died unexpectedly at 56. And I was like, wow, 40, that's, that's, that just feels a lot closer to 56 than 39 did, um, being in the forties. And I was like, wow, like it just, it gave me kind of that like mortality reminder. And it was sort of like, why am I doing work that I hate to buy stuff I don't need, right? To impress people I don't like kind of that, you know, that quote. And um, it was a really big wake up call. And so I, um, a mentor kept me from impulsively quitting, which I super appreciate. And, um, instead I said, I need to start a coaching business. I need to start a side hustle or something on the side so that 
basically I need to build my off ramp so that I could quit as soon as that's established. And so that's when my company hidden ADHD was created. And, um, and so I had to figure out, I had a really challenge. I had a really big challenge, which is how do I get my full-time fortune 500 job done and start this side hustle, hidden ADHD, this coaching business with the fact that I don't like working long hours. I hate using willpower and discipline to force myself to do things I don't want to do. So like, I don't really like working hard. Um, and yeah, like I just, I want relaxation and fun time. And, you know, like I, because I value the time freedom so much, I wasn't really willing to just suck it up and lose all that. So I had this really big question in front of me. I feel like this story is going on long. Do you want me to pause and let you interject? <laughs> no, no, I want you to keep on going. I, 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 I guess where it's going, but uh, no, please keep, keep, keep on going. Yeah. And so, um, and so I was like, how do I do this? And um, basically uh, that was the birth of what I call now the 8% productivity method. And okay. basically the, so this is my advice for how people can do things naturally. Um, this is the method I developed that allowed me to start the side hustle while working full time. And that involved filming over 50 YouTube videos, publishing over 25 articles, reading over 75 books, growing it to tens of thousands of followers. Now it's over 125,000 followers. Um, and, you know, all those things uh, with the fact that I really don't like rigid self-discipline and that thing. So. So the 8% productivity method, four phases, four stages, right? The first one, um, and this is what you can do if you're looking for natural stuff, is abandon neurotypical productivity. And so a lot of the productivity messages that are out there, right, are just are not compatible. So here's the thing. If you have inattentive ADHD symptoms, again, which is where I specialize, you're not going to be productive eight hours a day. And I get it if you're neurotypical, you're probably not either, right? But you're definitely not if you have ADHD, right? You're not going to maintain motivation on projects long-term. You absolutely will lose interest and look elsewhere. Um, okay. And, you know, you're, and so, and willpower and discipline, you're not going to suddenly be really good at using those to force yourself into rigid schedules and things that you don't feel like doing. If you don't feel like doing it, you're going to quit sooner rather than later. And so one is we need to just abandon neurotypical productivity and ex accept those premises, which then brings us to phase two, which is that we're going to begin the 8% habit. So 8% of a 24-hour day is two hours. And so the idea is that we are going to build a muscle, build a habit such that we can complete our top tasks in two hours a day or less so that we okay. never feel behind again, right? We're not always feeling behind. And um, so the reason that it's a habit is because the habit is our way around the fact that we're not going to be able to use willpower and discipline, right? And so okay. a lot of people don't start at two hours. A lot of people start at 30 minutes. But the big insight here is um, that one, we didn't build these productivity muscles growing up as kids. 
We were supposed to, but we were just fed a diet of motivation, willpower, and discipline, which worked for our neurotypical counterparts. For us, it didn't work. And so we never developed what were called study skills and study habits. And so we don't have them as adults. Um, so we need to build that habit. So we need to just admit that we don't have it very well. And we need to build it. The other insight here is that what is in the way of your productivity um, isn't that you're, that you're too inefficient when you're working. The absolute highest value, biggest bang for your buck, if you suffer from some of this chronic procrastination, inability to get yourself to do what you want to do, is simply to reduce the amount of time that you spend either avoiding what I call tough tasks, the things that you want to do but can't get yourself to do, or recovering from burnout, having done those top tasks in an adrenaline-fueled, stress-fueled sprint at some deadline. And it's those times that we spend, which is an inordinate amount of time when we start to pay attention, that we want to cut back. And so the whole 8% habit is that we use a strategic prioritization formula to find those tough tasks that we can use, right? Dan Sullivan calls this procrastination priority. You find mm -hmm. those few things that you're most likely to procrastinate on. And then, um, so obviously a lot of this is going to be familiar to you, right? So this is, um, but you want know, to just quickly go into phase three and phase four? Yeah, sure. I know we're getting a little yeah. tight on time, but so um, phase three, and again, a lot of this will sound familiar to you, Paul, because I know you and I share similar philosophies. Um, so phase three is that we need to amplify the 8% habit. So um, again, you're not going to continue, you're not going to sustain a productivity system long-term that isn't easy to do and enjoyable, right? And so what we do is we layer in productivity best practices at a small, in a small way every single week. And so you want to layer in like sleep, uh, minimizing distractions. We, we do an assessment to figure out what time of day you uh, have the most focus and energy. And that's when you plan to do your 30 to 30 minutes to two hours of tough tasks. Um, okay. Yeah. And so, you know, we, we work on the dopamine uh, overstimulation and how we can reduce that. And, you know, there's a number of little things that we can do here. The key is for ADHD years, we're doing it only in that 8% two hour window. And so what that does is it provides a bit of freedom that we tend to uh, buck against if there's not enough, right? Like I'm not going to remove distractions all day. I don't care how important it is to do, right? Mm -hmm. But I can put my phone away for two hours while I do my 8% time. And so when we can start to uh, be a little bit more strategic and then give ourselves the freedom to be a little loosey-goosey the rest of the time is great. And then the final step, um, which is phase four, is we need to practice the 8% with others. So the biggest mistake that we all make with our individual goals is that we're the only one who knows. Now, I understand why we do that. It's protective because we don't want to let people down. We don't want to let ourselves down. We don't want to be embarrassed. Um, but that's not the way that our brains work, especially not ADHD brains. One of the things we're quite good at is doing things when other people are expecting them soon. Right. If there's a deadline, your boss, your spouse, your whatever, your teacher is expecting something, your brain kicks into gear. And so what we need to do is we need to artificially create that. 
Um, and so there's ways to set that up with your, with your spouse, with, um, with your kids, with your parents, with your boss, with your colleagues. Um, and then there's also ways. So what I do with people is we set that up artificially in our program, which is we set up, um, success teams of three to six ADHD years. And then they each in that group, in that private group, they each commit what their one tough task is going to be that day. And then they report at the end of the day how it went. And the important point is that you report regardless of how it went. The goal isn't to do the task. The goal is to report because the way we build a skill is by trying, seeing what worked and didn't and adjusting. And we're not allowed to do that with productivity in the real world because um, you're not allowed to do that as an adult. You're allowed to do it as a kid because you're learning how to do homework. As an yeah. adult, it's not allowed. And so I, so we, so anyway, so yeah, it's, we create this sort of artificial environment where you actually are allowed to practice and get good at productivity. It sounds like you're reducing the resistance to the way that people work and actually working with how the AD, ADHD is within their mind and their brains. So again, and with reducing resistance, it makes things, uh, makes things much easier. I really like how you have people to be not just, it's not about accountable, it's not about results. It's the experimentation, which adults don't often value in seeing what, what works and what doesn't, creating those tweaks. I really like that, I really like that. Thank you. Yeah, it's really, um, it's really phenomenal. And I think another principle there that's kind of at the core of why like, people find the 8% productivity method so life-changing is um, that it uses momentum uh, as a core kind of way to get around the motivation gaps. Um, and, you know, we, the way we get off that kind of roller coaster is by making progress every day uh, in a small way. But people underestimate the value of momentum. And, you know, that's another thing that really kind of surprises people that they're able to sustain it because they've got a positive momentum. Uh, absolutely. Again, again, it's the momentum thing is very important. I think the idea that, you know, moving forward, the, um, if we don't feel we're moving forward, we feel stuck. Right. Uh, okay. Um, okay. Um, Jesse, uh, I got, uh, I'm going to be interviewing someone in it shortly. Um, Aaron, I'm, uh, this is absolute gold and I could be going on forever, but I know that you have to go. Um, how do people contact you? Yeah, um, I would just Google uh, hidden ADHD. Again, the reason I call it hidden is it's because it's this ADHD that tends to go less diagnosed than the hyperactive kind. So just Google hidden ADHD. You'll find my website, hiddenadhd.com. Um, I've got a free training where I kind of dive into this 8% productivity method, explain it, teach it um, in much more depth uh, that I'm going to be, that will be live um, October 20th. Uh, so Perfect. if you're listening to this uh, after that date, you'll see that on the website. And um, yeah, and I've got other f- good freebies on there for you as well before that date. Brilliant. I'm going to put all your details in the show notes. I could have gone on for another hour. Asked so many things I've not got around to asking. Maybe I'll have to get you back on again, Aaron, to go through loads of things I wanted to ask you. Uh, we'll talk again soon. But I just want to say thank you so much for today. Uh, it's been, uh, absolutely brilliant having you on the show. And I think, again, I think people will get a lot from our conversation today. So thank you so much.
I, I loved it so much. Thank you. I appreciate it. I appreciate what you're doing. And um, yes, we'll absolutely have to do this again. I really do have to get Aaron Croft back on this show. So much to ask. If you enjoyed this episode, please share, please subscribe, please leave me a review. And I'll look forward to connecting with you in the very next episode. Have an incredible day.